Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Who is there for me is the name of our first book written by Dorothy Reynolds about how she found her way through life following a mentally and physically abusive childhood in Louisiana. Yes, this is my memoir. It's a true story, very true, very emotional, and it's only half of my story. Actually, I wrote it about 30-some years ago for my son because I had a three-year-old when my husband got injured. And I said, if something happened to me uh, before he was old enough to understand, I wanted to write it. And I wrote it in three months. I put it down because life got in the way. There was so much struggle going on till I had to take care of the struggle first. And I had another child. So as I got older, I began to get health issues and then life and the struggle, and it was just taking a little toll on me. So I did it to release some of the uh, hurt that I was feeling. And my children experienced it. I experienced it. My husband experienced it. So I wanted to finish it to let them know that you can do anything you want to do. And it took me about three months to complete it and about six months to rewrite it because I had wrote it so long. And thank God I had printed it out because, you know, you wrote back then with floppy disks. Yeah. So I, I had to rewrite it in Word. And the more I write, it just bring back the memories. But I'm glad I did it because I feel better after I did it. But um, I learned a lot after I wrote it. It was a lesson in there for me also. Um, and it was a lesson that it seems like um, my children was affected by what I went through because they experienced the isolation at, at that at an early age. And they feel the isolation now. I can see it in the family even after I wrote the book. It's like it's a hush-hush thing. I wrote the book and didn't put my picture on it because I wasn't going to tell anybody about it because I wanted it, for, like I say, for a release for me. And then I wasn't going to put my name on it. And then I debated and I always say, all right, <laughs> God will tell me what to do. So I put my name on it. I didn't put my face on it because I wanted the book to be for everybody, not just for me, because after reading it so much, there's so many messages in there. There's so many struggles. Well, I, let's start at the beginning. Why were you excluded by your family? That's the part that I can't rem- I don't understand. And that's the part I think that hurts me the most because I, it was five of us living. I was the second child. My sister, uh, she was uh, brighter than me. I was darker. That's what I was always told. She was beautiful. And they wouldn't say I was ugly. They would say I was just dark. And it's like, I'm still your child. Why don't you love me like you love her? 
what am I doing wrong? And we were just so young and I could see myself working like um, I was there doing a job, not being a child. I see more of, of a work pattern than I do of being your daughter. And it's like, I never heard those words, I love you. So um, I just couldn't, I couldn't understand it. So my, my father used to tell me to read the Bible to him. I couldn't read the Bible because I didn't understand the words. <laughs> and I would always say, God, give me an understanding of the Bible. So I started writing him when I felt sad. So when I would uh, feel better, I would tear up the letter, but I didn't tell anybody. I just, it just kept going. How old were you when they decided you were somehow less than the rest of the family? I can remember it as, uh, as early as three or four years old because my brother was uh, is three years younger than me, my oldest brother. I was his caregiver, and I can see me dragging him through a cotton field with diapers on all the time. And why wasn't it my sister when she was two years older than me? And when she went to school, I was sent to school to protect her because they didn't want nobody fighting her. But you want to make me be a protector, but I'm not a fighter. All I wanted to do was play and have fun. Your life just went on like this until you were finally able to get away? I promised you every day I can see myself getting hit. <laughs> and I kept telling myself, when I leave here, I'm never coming back. And you know, like Christmas time, the gifts, she would get a better gift than I would get a better gift. Mine was plastic, hers was metal. And it's like, I don't understand the difference. I was outgoing. And so what I did was, like I said, I kept telling myself, I got to find a way for happiness. Um, so I would, you know, I would do things like I was so I draw, trying to find myself a career to make myself peaceful. I tried to play with my brothers and I didn't play with her because she wasn't interested in playing with me. But I wanted a sister, but it wasn't happening that way because I think of the way that they were uh, talking to us. You know, it's like they talked to her like, oh, we love her. She's so beautiful. She's so this. And here I am happy. And I just love the dance. And you have to be very careful what you say to children because it hurts. You can't say I love you. And then you're going to say don't dance because you won't come to a good end. And then I'll pay you to dance when my family comes around. And it's like, it's just mixed signals. So this went on and, and you didn't tell anyone or there was nobody, nobody else in your family noticed the way you were being treated? They noticed the way I was being treated and I did tell someone. I told an aunt that was the worst thing I could oh, have done. No. My aunt came from, it's not in the book, but my aunt came from uh, New Orleans uh, there to talk to my mother. And that was the worst thing that I could have done. And that's when I know that I had to do something to leave. How old were you when you were finally able to go? I graduated high school at 16. 
uh, because I was put in school a year younger to go with my sister to protect her. So that's how I got out of school early. And my mother told me that I was going to the sewing factory because my sister was going. She was working there. And I said, I don't want to be in the sewing factory, even though I can sew and I could actually sew better than them. And I taught myself how to sew. So when I went to take the test for a sewing factory, they say, you scored high enough to be a nurse. I said, I'll take it. But I didn't know that they weren't going to let me work that summer. That was a mistake, too. Oh, that was the awfulest thing I could have done. But you scored high enough to be a nurse? Yes. Now, that's something I had never thought about. But I took it because it was a way out. And the school was free. I ended up going to uh, Vicksburg uh, Kewin Memorial Hospital. Uh, they had a they had a school at that particular facility, but it was a a subsidiary of Raymond uh, College, and all you had to do was pay fifty dollars for the books and fifty dollars for the uniform, and the school was free, and then you go and you stay the whole year. And I told them I was leaving, I was going and stay. And she said, well, how are you going to get the money? I say, I'll work and get the money and somebody will give me the money. But I kept filling out the paperwork. So I kept passing the tests and they kept saying coming. So at the time when I did get accepted, oh, they decided, OK, we made a deal. If I come home on the weekends, uh, they would take me back because they didn't want me pregnant. So you don't get pregnant uh, Monday through Friday. You see what I'm saying? Oh, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's like she didn't want me pregnant, but I wasn't doing anything. But you were letting my sister date in middle school. And you were giving her the car. And uh, I couldn't even watch TV because she had her boyfriend there all the time. And it's like I didn't understand that. And I still don't understand it. But they did let you, thankfully go to this nursing school and is that how you started your path to become a nurse yes <laughs> and it, they did because uh my grandmother told me that if they didn't give her if they didn't give me the 50 dollars for the books and the uniform uh she would so they did that but i had to come home uh so i'd say i'll agree to that uh so i did i they would take me up there and they would bring me back. No, I would catch the bus back. They would drive me up there on Sunday and I'd catch the bus back on Friday afternoon. Anything to just to get to stay there. I was sick most of the time that I was there. I wanted to quit because uh, they didn't believe in taking me to the doctor. So one of the instructors told me to stay, please stay. <laughs> so I stayed, I got out and I did good. And and remind you, it was 17 when I got out of nursing school and they let me take state board because state board was a week for my birthday. And they said, well, if she went to school, uh, we're going to allow her to take the test. I took the test and I put in applications and I couldn't uh, didn't find a job. And I remember the hospital in Natchez that always passed by. So I wrote a letter to the hospital in Natchez. And the director wrote me, uh, she called my mother's house because she had a house phone at that time. And I didn't have a car. And she said, how are you going to get there? My sister wouldn't allow me to use her car. So I begged them just one time, let me use your car. So they let me use the car. I got the job. So my mother took me to the car shop dealer. 
and signed for me to have this car. So I signed for the car. She gave me the bank book and the car. That was fine. And I got there. Everybody wanted to be my mother because I was 90 pounds and too young to be a nurse. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But I don't understand after a lifetime, really, you know, you were 17, Mm -hmm. of psychological and physical abuse. They also abused you physically. How I don't understand how you were able to get through this without talking to someone or how did you manage to keep going? Oh, I... Because, you know, after after they, you know, after you told one person and that person made a trip there just to talk to her and for her to say what she was going to do to me, uh, I wasn't going to say anything to anybody else. And I just wanted to get away and I got away. I wasn't going to come back. And then uh, when I got to this job, um, the people say, you're too young to drive this far by yourself. I said, I've had one mother. <laughs> I don't need any more. Right. Um, I met this man at this pharmacy, and he was older than me. And uh, he said, what are you doing tonight? And I couldn't think of anything. And I remember that was December the 16th. I went out with him. He was walking. He had a place to stay. I had a car. We was inseparable ever since. And he said, I'll give you my place to stay. And I said, I'll share my car with you. And uh, Did you end up marrying him? Yes. He came. I wouldn't. I would tell him about where I live and how I grew up. He caught the bus and came to a town nearby because I would go home on the weekend because I didn't want no problem. He called me and told me he was at the bus station. I went and picked him up at the bus station. And when he came back to Natchez, he said, I want to take care of you. I said, why? He asked me five times to marry him. And I couldn't understand why. And uh, he said, I just want to take care of you. I said, why? <laughs> and I can't tell you the first time or the last time, except for he said, if you don't marry him, I'm leaving you. I said, I'll marry you. <laughs> Three Aww. months after we met, I was engaged. And uh, that was uh, met in December. August, we were married. Before I turned 18, my mama had to sign for me because she said, you're not going to embarrass me by having children. It's like, oh, wow. yes. <laughs> so did you, but you maintained contact with your family. Oh, yes, I still do today. I am the only child she have that will stay in the hospital with her when she's sick, when my daddy's sick, and when my sister's sick. I give up my vacation time, and I go help. Wow. I love her, but I can't understand why she didn't reciprocate. My children, uh, I tell them I love them every time I see them. If I see them 10 times a day and I got to hug you, got to love you, no matter what you do. And my husband is my rock. We have been 50-50, and we've been married. 50 years going on, 51, never been separated. That's amazing. But, you know, you mentioned also in your, in the outline of your book that your children suffered. Yes. Because of their relationship with your family. Right. Because uh, two of my, uh, my uh, two of the, uh, my mother's grandchildren, I don't want to say which two, told me that they were told not to talk to my children because of where they were born. And uh, when I needed them, when I was 
having children, there was nobody at the birth of my children but my husband. When I was ill, my husband took good care of me. When he got ill, I had a child. And I had to find other people uh, to help me. And in each one of those children's lives, there was little old ladies who stepped in and acted as a grandparent. I left my children with those ladies when I had emergency surgeries, when I had to work and my husband was having surgery and couldn't take them, couldn't keep them. So these little old ladies would say, I will be your children's grandmother. And they did. They helped me when they got old. I turned around and helped them. One lady couldn't remember. She had to come all the way from Alabama to find out who that lady is that keeps sending me money. I said, don't worry. It's somebody that loves you and somebody that you always sent money to to help me. And you gave my children the love of a grandmother. What a message this yeah. book sends. I, I just, I think most people would have crumbled. Oh, trust me. I was about ready to crumble. And um, it, it, it's so many stories in there. And it's so many. I just, I don't think we even have enough time to talk about it. Well, um, I mean, the whole idea is to get people interested in reading your book. Now, are right. you talking about your book? You know, how are you telling no. people about your story? I'm just telling people about word of mouth. Okay. Because, and and, it, and it's mostly people that I meet for some reason, I don't know why, when some people need help, I will share my story. And, uh, and it's just little bits and pieces of my story that I would share. A lot of people that I worked with, I would tell them about it. And some people would say, oh, don't tell people you came up picking cotton and working in a dairy barn. And it's like, why? That reminds me of where I'm not going back. Yeah. And uh, I always read to my children. And I would, uh, when I couldn't, when I didn't have time to read to them, then it was their job to read to me. And both of my boys read a whole lot. And they are so smart, so well-rounded. My husband, when I met him, he was a Sunday school teacher. He knows the Bible, and it's like, oh, I admire you so much. And he would sit on the bed with all four of us and talk to us about the Bible. To this day, he talks to me about the Bible. And it's like, wow, I don't know it that well, but I know how to live it, and I feel like I have the Holy Spirit in me. And it's a feeling that I can't explain to other people. And if I do, I'm wondering if they really understand what I mean. It's your faith. It's your faith that brought you. Th right, right. Yeah. I gave my, I give, I give my children a challenge. I say, if you see somebody and you feel like they need help, I say, help that person and watch God come in your life and take care of you for doing that. My children did that. And the babies say, mama, it really works. I say, I know. And this is a child who just got out of college and saw somebody didn't have food in their house and just put it there for him. And it's like, baby, how much I owe you? I got this, Mom. And, oh, it's just, I feel sorry that so many of their families is missing out on two loving children. And I tried, I had to be a mother, a grandmother, a aunt, an uncle. And my husband would follow them through school to say, 
I'm next door if you need me. And when the baby got a senior, he stopped subbing, but he's very educated and well-rounded, and I'm so proud of him. And uh, I'm and, proud of you. You're an amazing uh, human being. You really are. You have uh, such a, a you. great lesson in this book, and I, I just hope that that you're able to get attention for it. It's who is there for me. And I picked that title out uh, when I was in a dark place and I had that title uh, 30 some years ago. And I asked them to do the uh, cover and they did it perfect first time I saw it. All I could do was cry when I saw it. I said, just give me a minute to cry. And uh, put it on Facebook, put it somewhere where people like you, people who are going through horrible times can, you know, see a book like this and know that there's a way out. Yes, it, there's there's always a way out. It's just when you're in the deepest, darkest moments, it just feels like there isn't. Right. And no, and your book shows that there is there's always a way right. out. Oh, I appreciate you, too. Thank you so much for having me. You got it, Dorothy. Thank you. Tina Cavale will tell you COVID gave her the time and her grandchildren gave her the inspiration for the first in a series of children's books she plans to write. The first one entitled Johnny's New Truck. Hello, this is Tina. How you doing, Tina? I'm good. Oh, good. All right. And you're in Texas. Yes, ma'am. Lubbock, Texas. How is it in Lubbock, Texas? Hot one day, cold the next. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How long have you been writing? I actually started during the pandemic. You know, I had it on my mind for a while, but once we got stuck in the house during the pandemic and my daughter moved in with her children, that's when I decided to write a story. It's been like three years. Three years. So uh, were you working before the pandemic? Yes, ma'am. I did deliveries. Oh, so you... I had an accident. Uh, I was hit by a 15-year-old while I was sitting at a red light. Next thing I knew, my lights was out. I was knocked out. And so, guess I was stuck at home, couldn't work. My When my grandson moved in and playing with that truck I bought him, I had a bright idea to write about it. Uh, so your your daughter moved in during COVID, so you, I, so you guys could all be together? Yes, ma'am. She, actually, she moved in because she broke up with her loved one. You know, they separated. So she moved in like a month, two months before the country shut okay. down. Okay. And you decided to buy your grandson a truck. Yes, because his dad bought him one. Of course, he wasn't going to give it to us. So I had to go buy my own. So I wouldn't buy him that truck. You know, the Tonka truck. You know what I'm right. talking about. Well, he gets to pushing that truck this way and that way. <laughs> we got wooden floors and we can hear him coming. You know what I mean? So he was when he comes, he's staring right at you instead of watching which direction he goes. And he flipped the truck over. And that's when I said, that'd be a great story. But I left that part. Uh, how old is he? He was two at the time. He just turned four last week. So how does the story go? What what was the idea that hit you? Uh, it was the way he pushed it and he was going back and forth with it. And then when he came back into the living area and we said, okay, here comes Jaden. His name, his real name is Jaden. He had it full of toys. When I saw it full of toys, I said, that is so beautiful. Well, he can, you know, play with himself and activities that he do with that truck. That what pursued me to write that story. It's about my grandson. So how's the story go? 
he goes like, Jay loves to play with many types of toys, like cars, trucks, bikes, and scooters. But when Johnny got a new toy, which was that new red and yellow truck, he came up with a bright idea to fill his truck with toys and start pushing it this way and that way, over here, then over there. But his most favorite thing to do with his new red and yellow truck was to push around his little sister, Tessa. He pushed her this way and that way, over here and then over there. That's how it goes. He actually put, you can you can put a, a little person on the truck? <laughs> yes. You know what's so funny about it is that his sister isn't his little sister. His sister is his big sister. Oh. I just reversed the roll around. Oh, okay. Does he really do? Can that truck handle that much? <laughs> yes, <Really? ma> <laughs> I sent my uh, coordinator a picture of him pushing it. That is funny. That's funny. That is it a big truck? How big is it? Yeah, you know, truckers come in many sizes. You can get a rare size or you get the jumbo size. We got both of them. We you got, got the, the jumbo. Size, we got the jumbo. What did he think of the book? Did you show him the book? I showed him a book and he loves the book. He just holds on to it like it's a book. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. It was my granddaughter who helped me write the book. She was Which... five at the time. She's seven now. She helped me with that page about him liking bikes and scooters. She wrote that on there. Nice. So now the book is out there, right? Yes, ma'am. Are you able to read the book to other little kids? I mean, how are you How are you uh, trying to get the word out there? Well, I am having it promoted in different uh, ways. And I have a lot of family members putting it out on their websites. But we do have a lot of family members and friends come over and uh, we read the book to them. They also read the book. And once they read the book to their children, they're like newborns to four or five years old. They send me photos of the kids with the book because the kids refuse to give them the book back. Oh, that's great. Do they actually buy the book? Yes, ma'am. They all bought the book. My family's not buying just one book. They buying them by two to three to five at a time. That's great. And you have a big family. Yes, ma'am, I do. So you're going to keep writing? What's next? Yes, I got four more books already in the making. I finished three. Working on the next one. What are they about? I have one. It's called Do You Know What? About a little boy I used to babysit. And that's how he talked to me. He was three or four. And he used to say, Do you know what? My name is Brian. That's how he talked. So the book is called Do You Know What? Another <laughs> book called Lonnie Loves to Help. That's about my grandbaby. See, the girl that helped me with the first book. Uh -huh. Because she uh, loves to help me do everything around the house. Even when I go to work, do my deliveries because I work for myself. I take her sometimes. Well, she does all the work. So I wrote a book about her called Lonnie Loves to Help. So my fourth book is about autism. I got two autistic little kids in my family. So I wrote a little book about autism. Okay. So you ended, you recovered from your accident, right? Yes, ma'am. And now what do you do? I went back to delivering again. Oh, you went right back to delivering. I just went to a different company. I work for Walmart now. Okay, that's great. So you're still delivering and you're still writing and you're going to keep on going. Yes, ma'am. How'd you feel when your book showed up at your door? I was thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> I was screaming and yelling. You know, I was going crazy. I was going crazy when the publisher called me in the first place to tell me that they liked that story and they would love to publish it and I told them to do it. 
had you always wanted to be a writer? Like, did you write when you were a little kid? No, but I always worked in, um, you know, elementary with kindergarten. I was the kindergarten teacher's assistant for like five years. And then I moved on to special education. I did that for another five years. But it was always on my mind when I was in my 20s, you know, when I worked with them children. I'm in right. my 50s now. And once that accident happened, I had nothing to do. I said, it's in my mind all of a sudden. Why don't I just write about it? Great. You finally you finally did something you always wanted to do. Exactly. That's a great thing to do because it's so great seeing the children with books in their hand and reading the book and loving the book. It's so amazing how kids' minds develop so fast. And I see that with my grandkids living in my household, how smart they are is and how fast. And my granddaughter loves books. My grandson just getting into books, but my granddaughter is a book lover. She's in a gifted and talented program. So that's why she loves helping grandma write books. So it was like, I think if you really have it on your mind, just do it. You know, just like I did. Just get to it. Great. Thank you they so much. Love it. I love your enthusiasm. You're cracking me up. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.